What's going on? How's our week? Excellent. That's so great. It was actually alright. Thanks for asking. Anyways, before we get started, let's just pray. Dear Lord, we just want to thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we get to come and uh, unite and um, just look into your word and see what you have to say to us. I pray that you'd speak through me and you'd give everyone something to take home and change their life through it, Lord. Amen. So today, um, I won't be speaking for very long, but we're, we wanted to start off a new series about uh, the values that we have on our Christian walk. And the first one we're starting with is gratitude. Um, so when I was preparing for this talk, like all I got was just, yeah, gratitude. So I was, what do I do? Do I just come up here and just kind of go through the normal thing of like, you know, be grateful because you have a lot of blessings from God and they significantly improve your life. So clearly you should have something to be happy about, right? Um, this is, that statement is probably true, but it's also something we kind of, it's not that effective. Like we've all heard it and we clearly, a lot of people in the world don't really find a lot of joy despite that. So I was kind of reflecting on my own kind of experience on my own life. And I think something that I've been realizing is that I don't show a lot of very obvious gratitude. Like I don't kind of just, even when I pray sometimes, like I don't really make a point uh, to thank God for specific things, even when I ask for them, which is kind of crazy. Like I, I'll make time to pray for things. And then when they, God does provide, I just, right, onto the next list or whatever. Um, but even more crazy, like I don't really have sometimes the, the subtle form of, uh, subtle hints of gratitude. So what does that look like? There's a quote that I like that says, joy is the simplest form of gratitude. And sometimes even that, I don't take joy in some things that I do, even though it, it is a blessing. And I, on a deeper level, it's not something that's just, uh, he doesn't take enjoyment, he doesn't have joy in it. He's also not grateful for it, okay? So the Bible doesn't disagree with that little statement, okay? It's actually, a lot of it is about rejoicing and being glad and praising God. And in fact, joy is one of the, nine fruits of the Holy Spirit that, um, yeah, the Spirit imparts on us when uh, He lives in us and when we start walking in step with Christ. So if joy is an expression of gratitude and it's assumed that um, joy is a response, a normal response that we have to Christ, how do we compare to that? Um, I don't know. I feel like it doesn't take very long for me personally in my daily life or like my social life, my professional life, um, to realize that joy and contentment are kind of like countercultural. Like they're not the norm, okay? Most people aren't that. Um, we usually, our culture tells us that we want the best and we want the best in comparison to the people around us. And um, we want to hustle and have that mindset and go on the grind set and kind of um, be seeking out more money, more success, more status, whatever. So kind of our, a part of our culture is actually just underlined on that lack of contentment. Um, it motivates a lot of people to um, do what they do. And it comes from a place, um, you know, that tells you to hunger to better yourself. Okay. Um, and I think we wouldn't disagree as well on the fact that 
the world generally isn't, you know, um, it doesn't have too many people who are constantly or joyful, okay? It's uh, a lot of the residents of the world um, lack that, okay? And that's not just in the world, that's um, in the church as well. Um, yeah, a lot of people in and outside of church feel purposeless and depressed and um, suicidal and whatever, all of that, despite, you know, the their proximity to what we say is the truth and that should set them free but for some reason it doesn't there's something that's missing um so yeah maybe the kind of the culture maybe the idea that uh hungering for self-improvement or self-bettering doesn't really produce joy and leaves you without many things to be grateful for it just leaves you always needing a little bit more um, and I think the Bible agrees with that as well. So the Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So they will have something to be um, grateful for. Not necessarily everyone who, you know, hunger and thirst for their own, I don't know, person. All right. So we could probably spend like a whole week talking about what the Bible says about gratitude and um, all of that. But I think out of everyone in, actually, well, debatable, but I think one person in the Bible that does gratitude really well is David. So in the Psalms, he's always thanking God for something. He's always praising God for something, or most often, sometimes not. But what I'm going to do, I want to read through a Psalm and... After that, I want to share with you guys five things that I think all of us collectively uh, constantly can be grateful for um, in our walk with Christ. They're not things that depend on us. They're things that depend on Christ himself. Um, and because of that, you have something to take joy in. So I, you guys can open with me first to Psalm 136. I'll be reading different parts of it. I think I'll be reading 1 to 9 and then 23 to 26. If you just want to have it there, you can. Otherwise, I'll just read it. But I'll give you guys a second to get that. So Psalm 36. No, 136. Sorry. 136. All right. So from the first verse, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. To the sun, the sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then skipping to 23, he says, It is he who remembered us in our low state, for his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food for all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. So I don't know if you've noticed, but 
David is stressing the fact that God's steadfast love endures forever. That's why he um, said it so much. But I want you just to have this psalm in the back of your mind. So the five things I'm sharing with you actually aren't from this psalm, but you'll find that they're all actually in it in a way or another. So that can be something you reflect on later. But um, yeah, David here is describing a lot about God and his character, and he's taking a lot of joy in it. So I want to be sharing it with you. So the first thing is to be grateful for is that you are fully known and fully loved. So there's a quote that I think Alex shared at camp. I don't know if he did or I don't know how I know it. But it's a Tim Keller quote that he shares from one of his talks or a book or something about um, it's in the context of marriage. Tim Keller is talking about um, how marriage kind of fulfills the deepest human, uh, well, besides your relationship with Christ, fulfills um, the deepest human desire that you have. Um, but it's what he says applies to marriage only because it applies more to your relationship with Christ. So he says, to be loved and not known is comforting, but superficial. To be loved, uh, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense and humbles us out of self-righteousness. And it fortifies us uh, for any difficulty life can throw at us. So to be fully known and fully loved is a deep human need. Okay, And the Bible describes a God who knows us personally individually so it, he's it, the bible says he created our inmost being and knit us together in our mother's womb god knows you by name and he numbers the hair on your head he you're not a number to him and you're not um just kind of um like a, a product to him you're you're special and he knows you and he wants to you to know him as well god demonstrates his own love for us in that when we were still sinners, he died for us. So it's not just that he knows us and he knows um, our best and worst. It's despite knowing the best parts of us and the worst, he loved us enough to die for us despite that. So one aspect that I yeah feel deeply about when I think of God's love for us um, as Christians is that, yeah, he doesn't just begrudgingly accept us uh, you know, like, I'll, I'll take you despite kind of how rubbish you are. He doesn't take us and he wants to accept us, you know, and make an example out of us so everyone else sees, you know, don't, like, I'll still take him because I'm so good, but don't be like Freddie who does this or don't be like John who does that. Um, he actually takes us in and he kind of covers for us. And to kind of explain what this, what my, the concept I'm trying to explain is, this is going to be a little bit uh, exclusive, but there's a word in Arabic that's actually really good in explaining exactly what I mean. And that word is estor. So what that word means, we say, we use it to refer to someone when you cover like their nakedness or you uh, cover some sort of inadequacy, inadequacy in them for their own sake. You don't do it and tell everyone about it. You're really like covering for them. 
There's not really a good word for it in English that I could think of. But anyways, um, God does that towards us. He doesn't just take us and, you know, at least like everyone knows what you've done, but I'll still let you have eternity. God, he really loves us and he, he covers for us. And I think one really good example that Jesus demonstrates this, and I think that this passage has always been very powerful to me, is his encounter with the woman who was caught in adultery. So we'll quickly read it, and I want you guys to just see what I'm talking about. So if we all go to John 8. And it's just verses 2 to 11. And I'll just read it quickly. So it says, Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to him to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin uh, among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Um, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now, sin no more. This encounter that this woman had with Jesus is an example that is reflected in all our lives when we come to meet Jesus. It's um, not just a nice story to read. It's at least my experience as well when I met Christ. I felt like there was a lot that I, yeah, I was very ashamed of and got Jesus's um, take on it is not to shame you further. It's to forgive you and to cover for you. And from that, tell you, you know, go and sin no more. It gives you that freedom. So, conclusion of that first point is I get God fully knows you. He knows your best. He knows your very worst. And in spite of that, He loves you and He covers your sin and He desires for you to know Him as well. So, if you ask me, I'm grateful for that. Okay, the second one is that God provides in abundance. A few weeks ago for us that were at camp, um, Alex said something that really stood out to me and I've been thinking about it since and I've shared with a couple of my friends about it. He was saying that um, kind of the concept of treating our work or our study or our occupation, whatever it is, um, as worship, a way to worship God, um, to do it and to do your best and be grateful for it. And when I first heard that, I was like, like what's worse like my first job my second job or my uni i hate all of them they always suck like if you've known me for the past like four years that's my whole personality is like i have whatever and i can't be bothered to go to it but um yeah i i thought about it and it's like the way i approach a lot of um my 
the things that I have going on for me, say for example, example my uh, uni placement, I always think, oh, like I, I don't get paid for it. Can you believe? Like I'm there full day and I'm working, seeing all these people. I'm not even gonna paid a single cent, and all I get is some Karen yelling at me, and like that's it, and that's it. That's the way I treat it, and. Yeah, that attitude has actually caused me to miss the point of why God's positioned me there to start with. Um, and yeah, when I heard that, um, it helped me switch my perspective a little bit. I actually need to be, and all of us need to be seeing those things we have going on as a blessing from God. So, for example, in my example, it's, I thought about it and I, well, so what? Like, I'm going to this place and I'm learning and I'm doing all this stuff and I might not be getting paid for it, but I ask myself, like, what have I ever needed that I haven't had? Like, what is it? Um, I have food, I have shelter, I have a family, I have a community, I have, you know, the ability to be out or with my friends, doing what I want, go on holidays. What have I ever asked of God that he hasn't provided that would then lead me to be so ungrateful towards the blessings which he's given me. Um, yeah. And in that moment, I realized, actually, God is very abundant in his provision. So, yeah. The Bible says on this very thing, he says, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. And more than that, Jesus himself gives us a promise regarding our kind of daily needs that we need to hold on to and kind of realize that, yeah, God's always giving us everything we need. Um, I'll just read it for you guys. I'll literally just reread what Jesus said. I don't need to add anything to it. So if just from Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being more anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed in like one of these. But if God so clothes you like the grass in the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you will need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. So, another thing to be grateful about is that God always provides for us um, abundantly. He gives us way more than we need anyways. Cool. Three, the third thing to be grateful about is that the battle is won. No one, including the Bible um, has ever claimed that the Christian walk would be an easy journey. OK, 
okay? It's described as being like walking through a small gate and a narrow road, okay? Um, and there's a constant battle um, that, you know, Christians would know a little, you know, a thing or two about. And that's the tension that we have um, between kind of this like overwhelming and sometimes like primal desire to live for ourselves. It's a desire to, I just want to make more money or I want this person to like me or I want to do this or that um, versus, you know, a, a, a nature that we get from the spirit that, you know, wants to submit to God. So Paul knows this tension all too well. In Romans, he writes, I don't understand what I do. For I want for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's a sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that I keep on doing. This tension that Paul is talking about, and it's something that we all experience, it's the tension that brings a lot of us as Christians to a point of kind of sadness or depression, kind of feeling like in my life that I'm so much weaker sometimes than my ability to do what I want to do to please God. I'm not disciplined enough or I'm not good enough or I'm not able enough to do what God needs so I can please him. And that's a very, that's a big burden to bear. It's so big that that's specifically what Christ came um, to kind of liberate people from. Um, yeah, Christ knows this and he challenges us with um, a truth that's, yeah, set to multiply our joy in that um, when we're feeling life's tribulations in that sense, God says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus says he's already overcome the world. So the, 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 sin, the, the battle against sin um, has already been won. Um, you're not fighting against it to try to earn your way into heaven. Conversely, when you place your faith in Jesus, um, yeah, God takes you as one of his own. So it's another thing to be grateful about. Number four is that God is sovereign. God is in control. Um, and this is not a simple truth to kind of internalize. It's a lot easier to digest that phrase when things are going good or okay. Um, yes, God, yeah. God's in control clearly because things are going well. But when on surface value, things become not ideal or outright, they look, they seem evil um, in your life. Something is going on, some sort of hardship. That sentence then becomes very difficult to digest because then if God is in control, then what the heck? That makes no sense. Um, but it is true. Um, and 
God uses circumstances differently to what we can see and what our understanding um, kind of can show us at that moment in time. And one person in the Bible who absolutely, you know, had it very rough and still kind of held to that is Job. I don't know if you know much about him, but in the Bible, like this guy's story, he kind of lost everything. Um, he lost his business. He lost his kids. Lost his cows. That's a lot of stuff to lose. <laughs> and the normal human response, um, or like, the, yeah, the response that would be uh, considered like normal is his wife's response. She, he got, he gets sick, and his wife tells him, just go curse God and just die. Like, <laughs> like it's so bad. Clearly, God's not in control, and. Yeah, you have nothing. There's literally zero things for you to grasp onto. Just die. Before that, Job didn't say that to her. But before that, Job said something that clarifies his attitude, which I think is much better. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gives, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um... He knows. God's sovereign doesn't make mistakes and he doesn't lose control. When things seem like they're going awful, even in that moment, God's still in control and there's a purpose for everything. If the only thing um, in that season that you can hold on to for joy is that truth, it's a big one. It's enough. Okay? And the last one, very quickly, is that God's mercies are new every morning. So one thing that I kind of struggled with over time is feeling like, you know, God's great. God is so good to me. God is the best. But like, I'm pushing it, draining it. Like we just did this. I can't believe we're talking about this again. But God's love is not like that. It's vast and it's like a steady flow. It's like a, like a fountain that you can always go to. It. You always rely on it. It's, he's very stable. He's, you know, like building your house on a rock. Um, I won't talk too much about that, but um, not just for the, our obvious needs, but for the things that we don't realize we need and for the things that we may have asked for forgiveness about every single time uh, we talk to God. The Bible says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And then it says great is your faithfulness. So I find that something um, huge to be grateful for. All right, I'm pretty much done. The question I want to leave you guys with is um, how do these things that I've just shared with you, how do you think they impact your life? Like, so I'm, I'm very grateful that, you know, God's merciful towards me. And what? Or I am very, I take joy in the fact that God's sovereign. And what? 
that truth is not just meant to be something that we can celebrate and be happy about, which we should, but it should kind of invoke a, a, a response in us as Christians. Um, so I want to leave you guys with that. And I'll send out one or two questions for you guys to get in small groups. Make it like three. Don't, don't make it big. Um, just get in that and kind of just reflect on one, yeah, how do you, what difference does that make to you guys? And what do you personally have to be joyful about or grateful for um, in your walk with Christ that maybe you haven't been? All right.